Hello. Man, uh, it's awesome to be here. It's awesome to be with you guys tonight and just to lift up um, this word, uh, to lift up this name that is Jesus. Man, uh, I'm just praying for something amazing tonight over this place. Amen. Anybody with me? And even more than that, I'm believing God for something amazing tonight over this place. See, the amazing thing is, anytime the church gathers and we invite God into our space, he's coming. That's just reality. We don't have to beg him or prod him. We don't have to tase him into it tonight. He's ready and willing to move and to act in this place. So I do just want to say tonight, um, I guess first of all, hey, I'm Brad, if you haven't met me. Um, it's not about my name. You'll, you won't hear it again unless you ask at the end. Um, it's about his name. And what I'm believing tonight is that no matter what brought you in this place, God has something for you in these moments. See, the reality of the word is before you ever knew you were going to be here, he knew you were going to be here. And he kind of orchestrated everything tonight where you could do that. And, and tonight I'm just believing that God wants to move in this place. So I'm just going to give us a minute just to prepare our hearts for that and for me to prepare my heart for that. And I know we pray a lot, but the reality of it is there's no power in any man's speech or any set of songs. All the power is his. So tonight I just want to open it up for a minute just to pray in this place that God would do something not in your neighbor but in you. So let's pray. Father God, tonight we just thank you. God, we thank you for the opportunity just to be in this place and to meet with you. What an amazing thing it is to meet with the God of all heaven. That God, tonight we can go beyond singing a bunch of songs in a place, in a cathedral, in a temple, maybe even in a field. And God, we can meet with the one who made us. God, I know tonight for some of us we walked in and everything's good. And that's a lie. Because without you, Jesus, nothing is good. Some of us walked in this place and we, we, we're just church people, right? Maybe, God, you have something more for us than that tonight. Maybe some of us walked in this place and we are totally not church people. And God, I just believe that you have something more for us tonight. So God, you open our hearts, you open our ears, you open our eyes, and we can see you, and more than just be talked into something tonight, that God, you would just show up, and you would speak your truth and your words and your life. And it's in your name, Jesus, the name that's above every other name we pray, amen. <laughs> Woo! That is pitiful. Come on, people. Woo! Man, we are here tonight, and uh, I'm just ready for this. Um, I haven't been. I'll be completely honest. It felt like a really long time away, even up till about 4 o'clock today, and then the egg hunter showed up, and it was like, just got real. Uh, if you weren't here for that, by the way, there were like 8 million little kids. I'm probably exaggerating, but there were a lot, and they had buckets, because that's what egg hunters do, and uh it was just amazing to see. Tonight, uh, we're going to be in Luke 
23, if you have your word, if you can see your word, right? Um, <laughs> and we're going to talk about the cross, big surprise, on Good Friday. But as I was moving towards this week, I'll, I'll be completely honest, um, I, I don't really worry about repeating things because God says his word is living, so it wasn't really that, but it was just, God, what would you speak into these moments, into these few moments, what would you say, what would you have us know, and um, as I went to study for this, it was like God just kind of shut the door, um, it's not time for that yet, and that's awesome when you're getting really close to an event that you have to speak at in front of people, right, like if it was at home in the bathroom and just sharing it with myself in front of the mirror, it's not really that big of a deal, but to come into a place and to, to attempt just to say what God is going to say, you're like, God, if you could let me in on that, that would be amazing, and over and over again, it was like, this is the story, but I'm not talking to you yet. Um, so all the way up until last night, I was trying to get ready for this and, and still nothing. And it was just like, God was like, just, why don't you just go to bed? <laughs> but I got a thing to, I'm aware. <laughs> um, I, I know what I'm doing. You just don't know what I'm doing. And I did. And this morning I woke up and sat down. And it was like God just started speaking and, and through the help of the Holy Spirit, because I have nothing to say tonight, um, nothing important anyway. Uh, I'm just going to talk about a story that you've heard probably over and over and over again and just pray that God does something through His Spirit that's beyond me. And tonight we're going to be in Luke 23. Now at this point in time in the story... Um, Pretty much everything, right, has happened. Last 24 hours of Jesus' life, I'll just give you a recap because it was busy. Um, Thursday night, he would have sat down for this thing we know as the Last Supper with his disciples, and he would have broke bread and, and, and talked about this, this cup. And it's a thing that would happen every time during this Passover feast. It wasn't a new feast. It's just a feast that Jesus gave a new name to and some new symbolism to. And he, he looked at his disciples, and he took the bread, and he said something weird that they'd never heard in this moment before. As he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. You imagine hearing this, I've heard of this over and over and over again my entire life, and then this time he does it, and you're like, Jesus, I think you're wrong. That's not what it says there. That's not what the bread is about. Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about, and he takes this cup, and again, a cup they'd seen over and over and over again, and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. There's a new way. What Jesus was saying to these men was, it's not about symbolism and religion anymore. It's about something deeper than that. I, God, have come to commune with you, to be with you. And the only way we can be together is if my body is broken and as Jesus broke this bread and felt it tear, imagining and knowing exactly what was coming just a few hours down the line, we began to pass it out. Supper was finished and Jesus went to the garden to pray. Again, prayer is a good thing, especially if you're preparing to do something like Jesus was about to do. And for hours he prayed in the garden and then about midnight, one of the disciples, one of his arguably probably best friends these past three and a half years, Judas walks up and he gives him a kiss on the cheek. And Judas did not come to hang out in the garden with Jesus. He'd come to betray 
Jesus. Jesus, unfortunately, was not the, the Messiah that Judas was looking for. Jesus was carried away and he was tried several times. I won't bore you with the play-by-play, -play, but tried several times in front of the religious leaders of the day and every time found guilty, but guilty of what? Guilty of healing people? Guilty of speaking into tombs and, and waking up the dead? Guilty of preaching the word like none of them could ever hope to preach because he was and is today the word? Guilty of being the Messiah they didn't want. We see that Jesus, after being condemned by the religious leaders, was carried to Pilate, a proxy king set up by the Roman government, and he was tried before Pilate, found innocent, and then Pilate sent him off to Herod, and then Herod found him innocent and sent him back to Pilate, and he played this game for a few hours of traveling between Judea and Galilee. He's brought before Pilate the final time, and Pilate says to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. I will have him whipped, and then I will release him. It sounds like a great compromise, but we don't want Jesus merely whipped. We want him killed. So they start, start shouting, crucify him. Just days ago, chanting, Hosanna, save us now. And now just a few days later, shouting, kill him. Kill him. He's not the Messiah we're looking for. So Pilate reluctantly agrees to have Jesus killed for being innocent. And to top it all off, Jesus takes the cross of a man named Barabbas, who is guilty of the very thing Jesus was accused of being innocent of. That should about catch us up to where we are in the story tonight. In Luke 23, pray the wind doesn't close my Bible, it could get rough. We see Jesus is being led away to this place to be crucified. And it says in 32, which is where we'll enter the story tonight, two other criminals, or two others, Two other men who, by the way, happen to be criminals. It's separated in my Bible because Jesus was not a criminal. We're also led away to be executed, to be killed, to be murdered with him. And it says in 33, when they arrived at the place called the Skull, some of you know it as Mount Calvary or Golgotha, it was a raised place in Jerusalem where they could easily see the crucifixion. And it says they crucified him there. Now this is not the whole story, it's the beginning of the process. I believe I have the definition for crucifixion, um, if we can find it. Maybe, possibly. There it is. This is, crucifixion is the execution of a person by nailing or binding them to the cross. Now, Jesus didn't have the pleasure of being um, bound to the cross. Jesus was nailed to 
the cross, and they began this process here in verse 32. When it says they crucified him, what they mean is they physically drove hand or nails through the hands and the feet of Jesus. I don't know if you can imagine what that would feel like, but I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. These railroad spike-sized nails being driven into your body. And then Jesus was lifted up on this cross and hung before the world to see. And it says, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then in this moment, as as these men had just nailed him and lifted him up, in the moment where I'm still feeling the pain, where, where, where it's very fresh, the nails in my flesh. It says, then Jesus said in that moment, Father, forgive them. What a radical thing. Praying this over the men that had just taken a hammer and physically nailed Jesus to a piece of wood. Jesus prays, in in those moments, Father, forgive them. And can I just say to some of us, we like to say Jesus wouldn't forgive me or Jesus can't forgive me or you don't know what I've done. Look at what he did. These guards, these men, these soldiers had just taken a hammer and and driven railroad spikes into the body of the star breather. And the only man that can forgive looks at them and then says to God, Father, forgive them. I don't know what you've done, but I know what you haven't done. And the pattern of the story is Jesus is a forgiver. So he prays over these men, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. See, in reality, these men had no idea who Jesus was. They maybe heard stories, right? Like Jesus, Jesus is a pretty popular guy in the Bible. I don't know if you know that or not, but Jesus had been walking around for three and a half years healing people who have never walked before, saying to them, get up and walk, and they do it. That's something that kind of gets around the city. Jesus looked at men who'd never been able to see before, and he just, with maybe just a quick motion of mud over the eyes, said, now you can see. Jesus had called into tombs where people had been dead and he'd said to these people, rise, get up and walk, and they've done it. Dead people have walked out of tombs under the power and the authority of the word of Jesus and that gets around. But even in that, he says, they don't know who I am. They've heard stories, but they've never experienced me. This is while this was happening, they divided his clothes and cast lots. While Jesus is praying this prayer over these men, these men are taking his clothes and they're ripping them and then gambling over which garments they get to keep. Can you imagine that? You just nailed me to a cross and now you're gambling over my clothes. You don't even care that I'm suffering and still Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them. 
It says in 35, the people stood watching, and even the leaders here, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, these men who knew the Bible, who'd memorized it, these great religious leaders, they're standing around, the people who have read stories like Isaiah 53 and Genesis 3. They talk about this coming Messiah. They're standing around, and what they're not saying is, thank you, God, for your plan, but they're scoffing. A scoffing, because I, I kind of know what it is, but I don't really know what it is. I got the definition for you, so we could all know what it is. It's coming. Here it is. The scoff is to speak to someone or about something in a scornful or divisive or mocking way and just so we all can kind of make that easier the synonyms are to mock or to taunt or to poke fun at Jesus was hanging on the cross and the religious people were standing around making fun of him can you imagine people who are the people of God are supposed to be compassionate and loving forgiving people Here Jesus is, even if you don't believe he's the son of God, he's still a man, at least worthy of some common decency, and he's hanging on a cross, bleeding to death, and they're sitting around making fun of him, saying things like this, he saved others, let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, The chosen one. What they're saying is, some kind of Messiah you were. Oh, you said you could save people. They're not disputing Jesus' ability to say to people that have never walked, get up and walk, and it's happened. But Jesus always did this crazy thing before he healed people physically. He declared spiritual healing over the people. Church word, saved. Your sins are forgiven. These men are saying, oh, you're the Messiah. You have the ability and the power to forgive sin, but you can't even get down on a cross. I don't know that I would trust in that. The soldiers wanted to get in on the deal, so in 36 we see the soldiers also mocked. If it wasn't enough that they nailed him to the cross, if it wasn't enough that they beat him beyond recognition, if it wasn't even enough that while this was happening they were gambling for his clothes, if that wasn't enough, let's mock him, please. And it says, offering him sour wine, they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you're really the king of the Jews, get down off the cross. I would ask you this, what kind of king has the ability to get off of a cross? In reality, we're talking about something more than a king here. It says in 38, and the inscription above him was this, what was hanging above Jesus, a sign above his head, was this is the king of the Jews. This is your king. Now see, to really understand this, we have to understand what the king of the Jews was. Maybe some of you know because you are Jewish, but I didn't because I'm not. See, the Jews were looking for a Messiah. The Messiah had been promised all the way since Genesis chapter 3. The moment sin happened, God said there would be a Savior. 
right? Man was created to be with God in the garden in perfection. We walked with God. Adam and Eve had an intimate relationship with God to the point where they even knew when God walked in the garden what his footsteps sounded like. But then sin came. They chose something else. They chose something they thought would be greater. And in that moment, they were declared spiritually dead and they were just waiting on physical death. In that moment, God came into the story and there were a bunch of things that God said, but most notably, God said this. He said to the serpent, the agent, right, that sin first came through, this devil, There's somebody coming. You're going to pierce his heel. You're going to puncture his foot. But he's going to crush your head. And ever since that moment, all the prophets and all the books all pointed to this one man, this Messiah that would come. But see, the Jews didn't think it would be a man that would come and, and die on the cross. They were looking for a king. The book of Daniel calls him the son of man, this, this king that God would send to set up an eternal and universal kingdom, a kingdom that would last forever and be everywhere. A new King David, the, the king that was supposed to be the best there ever was really in Israel, right? you ever heard anything about David, David was a king that, that kind of set up really what we know of as the nation of Israel collected all these tribes together and united them under his power and authority. And he had a, a reign that was marked by this military might, just crushed everybody that would come up against him. And he set up for his son Solomon a, a reign of prosperity where the Bible says that, that silver was like stones on the ground. The glory days, the good old days. That didn't last long. Sin came and destroyed that too. But the Jews thought God's going to send a Savior, and what the Savior is going to do is he's going to be the new King David. He's going to come down, and he's going to kick out the Romans, and he's going to set up this, this eternal kingdom right here in Jerusalem, and we're going to be his people. See, that was the Savior they were looking for. That was the Messiah they were looking for. Unfortunately, that kind of Messiah wouldn't find himself on a cross. So the Romans put up this sign, look at your Messiah. Look at this king. Look at this person that was supposed to come in and he was supposed to kick us out. Look at where he is now. It's not the Savior you're looking for. See, in reality, Jesus was not the Savior they were looking for because they were looking for the wrong kind of Savior. A problem that actually, I think, still plagues a, a lot of people. See, we're looking for somebody that, that maybe is going to come in and fill up the pocketbook, right? Or maybe somebody that's going to come in and he's going to, he's going to come and he's going to make our life good and perfect and nothing bad's ever going to happen and everything's going to be rainbows and sunshine. And can I just say, that's not the kind of Savior that God sent. Because in reality, it's not the kind of Savior that we needed. See, sin didn't create a poverty problem. Can we just agree on that? 
Like maybe it's a side effect of it, but sin didn't come to make us poor. Sin didn't come to create behavior problems. Sin didn't come to make us bad. Sin didn't come to, to make us immoral. Sin didn't come to do those things. We were already those things by nature. We didn't need sin to do that. It was who we are. It's in our DNA. The Bible says actually in Ephesians 2 that sin came to make us dead. Sin didn't come to make us bad people. Sin came to make us dead people. Not only did sin come to make us dead, but sin came to separate us from God. We were created for intimacy with God, but then sin broke that. You were created to be in a relationship with God. God created you to love you. And sin made that a problem. See, in reality, here's the truth, and it's the truth that we can see in the Word. Whether you live another eight seconds or 80 years, you will die. Amen. You will. I've never met anybody who's been able to avoid that. Given enough years and enough time, we are everyone headed towards the grave. So if the Messiah only came, right, to, to make us rich, wouldn't that be an amazing life? But at the end of the life, we'd be dead. And money doesn't get you any more years. See, if the Messiah came to make everything perfect and to make us moral people, that would be amazing, but we'd still be dead in our morality. If the Messiah, he, he came to make our life perfect and everything's rainbows and sunshine, that'd be great for the next 80 years, but then we would find ourselves in a box in a hole. And see, what God knew and we very rarely see is our problems don't start here. They start when we leave this place. See, in Ephesians 2, it not only tells us sin came to make us dead physically, but it came to make us dead spiritually. It says in our trespasses and sins that we're dead. It goes on, and it says a little more. Maybe I can just share it with you. It says that we are under the power of, call him Satan if you want. If you're living apart from Christ, that's, that's who's in charge of your life. It's just reality. Moral people and bad people together. Without Jesus, you're in his chains. And then it says something else, and this is where it gets real bad. It says we're headed towards the wrath of God. That you and I, apart from Jesus, are headed toward the wrath of God. And there's not one thing we can do about it. Morality will not pull us out of the wrath of God. And money will not pull us out of the wrath of God. God's not a respecter of persons. We are all in the same boat. And it doesn't matter what your sin or your thing or your issue is. Any sin is a problem because at the end of that, the wages of sin is death. It's in the Bible. Google it later. So if you're a sinner, what that means is you are headed towards physical death, but more than that, you're already spiritually dead. And if you leave this place in that state, you will end up in the wrath of God. And here's the crazy thing. 
God was not okay with that. Isn't that nuts? We are the offender. We're not the innocent. We didn't just get subjected to sin because of Adam and Eve. We are sinners, and we are the worst kind of sinners. You're like, not me. God created you. He created you to be with him. And if you're not, something's broke. The side effects of broke are all the things we want to focus on. No, he's a liar. No, he's broke. He's made for God and he's not in relationship with God. No, he's uh, whatever, right? Let's not try to hit one because I'll miss yours and then you think you'll get off the boat. Sin is the side effect of our broken, empty hearts without God. And even though we deserve the wrath of God, God sent a Savior. And his name was Jesus. The Jews were looking for a Messiah that was going to come and make them rich and wealthy and moral and sunshine and rainbows. But praise God, he could see beyond today into where we were headed into eternity and he knew we did not need a savior that was going to come and be born in a palace and set up some kingdom he knew we needed a savior that was going to be born in a cave and die on a cross and i love that the romans put up this sign over jesus that said look at your king this is the king of the jews he thought it was derogatory but i bet god clapped they can see it This is the king of the Jews. This is what I was talking about. This is what I was meaning when I said I was going to send a Messiah and they were going to pierce his heel. Can you see it? It's in his heel right now. But in just a few hours, he's going to breathe his last breath and that head is going to be crushed. And the power, all the fangs in the serpent are going to be broken and snapped because sin will be defeated and shame will be defeated and guilt will be defeated and all the teeth will be broken and eventually, here's the deal, death and hell and the grave will also be crushed. This is the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. It says in 39, then one of the criminals hanging there, he began to yell insults at him. Can you imagine? I'm dying on a cross beside you and I'm insulting you. It doesn't make sense. And he says, aren't you the Messiah? Isn't that you? Hey, Jesus, are you supposed to be the Savior? Because if you are, why don't you save yourself and us? What was he talking about? He was talking about right now, I want you to get me off the cross. Right now, I want you to improve my state. Right now, I want you to elevate my position. Right now, I want you to improve my bank account. That's not the kind of savior he is. So he ignores him. Here's here's a guy pleading with Jesus, save us. 
And Jesus says, nothing. You know why? Jesus is not willing to be the Savior you want. He's only willing to be the Savior that he is. It's your, it's your decision. I only want a Savior that's going to put more money in the bank. Well, then you don't have a Savior. I only want a Savior that's going to make tomorrow a good day. Well, then you don't have a Savior. Jesus never promised every day would be a good day. Actually, he promised the opposite. You want to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me. That's the only way. That's the kind of Savior he came to be. I'm going to die on a cross, and if you want to follow me, you're going to die on a cross. And if you want any other kind of Savior, go find him, because I'm not him. But it says in 40, but the other one answered, and he began rebuking the other. Can you imagine this conversation? Here's Jesus in the middle, and here's this guy. We'll call him the good one, and we'll call him the bad one, or whatever. And he begins yelling across Jesus to this guy. And he's fussing at him, and he says, don't you even fear God? In parentheses, dummy. Maybe it's just me. Uh, it's not really in my Bible. Um, but I can see it. <laughs> Don't you even fear God since you're undergoing the same punishment? I love this because this guy's like, hey, let me just ask this before we all die here. What if he really is? What, what if he really is? What's your plan? You're here, here, and you're making fun of Jesus who's dying on the cross because he said he's the Messiah. What if he's right? Let me just propose that for a minute. What if he's right? You're going to die, right? 80 years from now, eight seconds from now, maybe you won't make it home. Or maybe you'll make it to 120. But you're going to die. What if he's right? It's a good question. Thank you, good thief. What if there really is a heaven? What if there really is a God who made everything? It takes more faith to believe that there isn't than to believe there is. Well, what if there really is a Messiah, and what if his name is Jesus? What if he's the one? What if that sign up there is correct? What if this is the king of the Jews? What if this is the guy? What's your plan? Don't you even fear God since we're undergoing the same punishment? We're all going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. And he says this, we are punished justly. We deserve it. They know each other. Because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. He's like, man, we earned this. But then he says, but this man's not done anything. You know that, I know that, everybody that's ever been in Jerusalem knows that. We, all we've ever heard about this guy is good things. Just a few days ago, he was coming in the city on a donkey, and you were there and I was there, and we could hear the shouts, Hosanna, save us now. What has he done? He doesn't deserve this. We do. We're the offenders. We're the sinners. We're the rebels. We're the ones. We're the thieves. That's us. But he is, is not. He's innocent. Yet I have the pleasure of sharing this hilltop with him. This is in 42. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now see, this guy has amazing faith to me. He is hanging on a cross beside a man who is dying. A man who has hands in his, 
or nails in his hands and his feet, who's on a cross, who's elevated in the same position that he is, and they've seen crucifixions before. This wasn't like the first three people ever crucified. I looked it up today because I was curious. Do you know that there's somewhere between tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that have ever been crucified? But the amazing thing today is we're only still talking about one. Hundreds of thousands of people were nailed to wood and we're talking about one guy 2,000 years later. That should probably tell you something right there. And this guy in the same position as Jesus looks over his shoulder at a man who's been beaten beyond recognition and struggling to breathe. And in faith, knowing that the circumstances and the situation say, this is maybe not him. It's not who we were looking for anyway. In faith, seeing he's innocent and knowing that he's guilty, He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm taking the sign for its word. It says this is the king of the Jews. And if this is the king that God sent, man, you just remember me when you get there. I know he doesn't get it, and he doesn't get it, and he doesn't get it, and he doesn't get it. And I just fussed at him because he doesn't get it. But I want you to know I get it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know why God would send his son to die on a cross. I don't get all that. I'm not a theology expert. I've never been to Bible school. But I want you to know today that hanging here beside you, there's a difference in you and me. And I believe something in me, down in me, believes that you're the king. So when you get there, wherever there is, remember me. That's faith. (laughs) And this is what Jesus said. I want you to realize he ignored the other guy. This is what Jesus said. I assure you, today you will be with me. In paradise. Isn't that amazing? See, I love this because this breaks every argument that I've ever heard. Here is a man that has been condemned to death. Who, who, who is a sinner, who has had no defense, who has been convicted, who has been tried, who has been found guilty of death and is now hanging on a cross beside Jesus. He's got the luckiest seat in the world, right? Like a week ago, that could have been a really bad deal, but, but this guy is here today hanging beside Jesus, convicted and ready to die And he looks at Jesus and he acknowledges, man, you're not the kind of king that maybe everybody wants, but you're exactly the kind of king that I need because I am aware I'm leaving this place very soon and I need something that's going to take care of me when I get out of this place. 
I'm hanging on a cross. I don't need a bigger paycheck. I'm hanging on a cross. I don't need my boss to like me more. I'm hanging on a cross. I don't need you to get all my marital problems in order. I'm hanging on a cross. I don't need sunshine and rainbows. I need something that's going to get me beyond the grave. And thank God. I didn't know I needed to be on this cross today, but you knew I needed the cross today. And I just happened, I don't know why I'm here, I just happened to get lucky enough to be next to that guy, the king of the Jews. I love that Jesus didn't look back at this guy and say, I don't know, why are you on that cross? Can you just give me a rundown of how bad you are real quick? Can you, can you just maybe tell me what you've done wrong? Because I need to weigh it out and see if you're worth saving. Jesus didn't say, I don't know, man. You, you've been convict, convicted and they're hanging you on a cross. You've done something pretty rough. Jesus just looked at him and he said, yeah. Yeah. I'll be your king. We can do that. If you, if you want to be in my kingdom and you see me as your king, brother, we'll go today. I just want to say to you out there who maybe are still just digging around with, that's great for the good people. The Bible says there aren't any. We might put on our suits and ties, but it doesn't make us good. <laughs> uh, maybe that's good for the religious people. No, it's bad for the religious people. They were standing there making fun of them. I don't know how that turned out for them, but that's not a story that probably went well for them. See, it's not about good and bad. There is no good and bad. We're broken. God made us for him. And we broke that. Doesn't matter what the side effect is. But see, in reality, Jesus came because he hated that. God made us for himself. You get that? God made you for himself. He made you so that he could enjoy you and you can enjoy him. That's the way it was supposed to work. And all God's doing today, he's not saying, oh, come down here and I'll subject you to the things I want you to do. He's not saying that. Oh yeah, he's the king and he gets to decide what's going on, but he's not trying to oppress you. He's kicking out the oppressor. The oppressor just wasn't the Romans. It was death. He's setting the captive free. The captive just wasn't the Jews, it was us. Jesus came to mend the relationship and the only way he could do that wasn't by coming and being king in a palace but being king on a cross. And today for anybody and everybody because we all have the same problem that would, let me just say to you, Jesus will 
for anybody that will look at the foolishness the Bible calls it of the cross and say, that's the way. That's the way God chose. God will let you in. Jesus didn't come to be the Messiah that most of us are looking for, but he did become, he did come to be the Messiah that we need. Set us free from sin, shame, living in shame. Jesus can set you free from that. Guilt, living in guilt. Jesus can set you free from that hell. He come to set you free from hell. You should never have to experience that. Some of you use the argument, right? A loving God would never send people to hell. No, a loving God sent his son so you would never have to. So today, I just want to maybe ask you just to look. Just to look beyond what the world would say makes sense. To look beyond the situation and the circumstances and to see that It was no accident that Jesus ended up on the cross. It was the plan of God. Because that is the only way. That is the only way. Back to him. Can I just read you something? By the way, something that was written hundreds of years before there was ever a man named Jesus on planet earth. It's in Isaiah, it's Old Testament if you know the Bible. It says this, who had believed what we have heard? Who has the arm or the strength of the Lord been revealed to? It says in two, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or splendor that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. Listen to this, he was despised. And rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised. And we didn't value him. Yet he himself, he bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced. you see it it's not the messiah we were looking for but it's the messiah that we needed he was pierced it was the plan of god god orchestrated everything in the whole world in the universe to this moment where a man named jesus would die on the cross he was pierced because of our transgressions He was crushed because of our iniquities and the punishment for our peace was on him. It says, and we are healed by his wounds. On the cross is found healing. It says, we all went astray like sheep, every single one of us, and we've all turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity, the sin of us all. 
says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet we, he did not open his mouth. At never any point in time did he say, I don't want to do this. It says like a lamb led to the slaughter and like sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Listen to this. They made his grave with the wicked. He was crucified between two thieves. And with a rich man at his death, he was buried in a tomb of a rich man. God did everything to make this the thing. Although he had done no violence and he had not spoken deceitfully in his intent, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him. And he made him sick. You know why he did it? In 11 it says this, he will see it out of his anguish and he will be satisfied with this knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. He will carry their iniquities. He did it for you. The whole thing was for you hundreds of years before the cross ever happened. It was for you. It was for you. So tonight in this room, in this place, you could hear this story about how there was a God who loved you enough to leave heaven and come for you. And he didn't come to be the savior that maybe you wanted, but he came today to be the savior you needed. So I can't say to you today, come to Jesus and everything will be okay, because it might not be. But I can say this, come to Jesus and sin in your life will be crushed. Come to Jesus and shame that rules over you, it'll be defeated. Come to Jesus and the guilt that is covering your heart right now, it will be ripped away. Come to Jesus and in the eight more seconds or 80 years when you leave this place and you close your eyes in death, you will open your eyes in heaven. No longer broken, but healed and whole through the stripes and the wounds of a Savior that we didn't even know we needed to ask for. But God knew he needed to send.